Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Hello, Lori. Peter. Oh, so much in the news this week. I know. To share. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Let's start in Arizona, uh, where another, the fourth dolphin at Dolphinaris, Arizona, that's the swim with dolphin attraction in Phoenix has died. Another dolphin has died. Incredible. We talked about this on our February 2nd show with Dr. Naomi Rose. So I would encourage listeners, if you haven't checked that out yet, to go listen to that for some background and the history of this place and and all the problems related with facilities like this and swim with dolphin places, particularly in the desert. So another dolphin, the fourth dolphin has died and consequently the facility under a lot of pressure from groups including Rick Barry's Dolphin Project, Dolphin Free Arizona, and also Animals First Arizona who have been quite vocal for quite a while in opposition to Dolphinaris. Well, Dolphinaris has decided to at least temporarily uh, shut down to move the four living remaining dolphins and try to figure out what is going on there by bringing in experts. Two of the dolphins are owned by a facility called Dolphin Quest in Hawaii. They've canceled their contract and they're not going to come back to Arizona. The other two, it's not clear where they are going yet. Pressure is mounting on Dolphinaris. There are protests. There are planes flying banners pointing out the third and then the fourth death flying over well-attended events around the Phoenix area, as well as billboards uh, all over town. Rick O'Barry, he's the founder and director of Dolphin Project. He said, dolphins are free-ranging, self-aware creatures of the sea. We have been keeping them in captivity since 1938. We should have learned by now that dolphins and other whales don't belong in captivity, and they definitely don't belong in the desert. The death of yet another dolphin in the desert serves to expose the vile, greedy industry, which is totally out of control. When will we ever learn? Peter, I have a health alert. Okay, health alert. Yes, last week, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, warns those individuals who have a pet hedgehog to not kiss or snuggle with their companions, Mm. as there has been a recent outbreak of salmonella linked to these little guys. On January 25th, the CDC reported that 11 people from eight states have been infected with the salmonella strain, with one person being hospitalized. There have been no deaths. Apparently, this was discovered because the infections have been linked to contact with pet hedgehogs. So the CDC is warning pet owners to wash their hands thoroughly after touching, feeding, or caring for a hedgehog or cleaning its habitat. They are very cute, aren't they, Peter? They are cute. I don't know if I'd want to kiss one, but you know how in the emergency room, you go to the emergency room, they ask you if you've traveled out of the country in the last 30 months? When yeah. you Now they have to ask you, do you have any exotic pets? Do you have a hedgehog? That you've kissed recently? Yes. Anyway, hedgehogs are wild animals and do belong in the wild. So again, we don't advocate keeping any exotic animals as pets. Unless, of course, you were kind enough to rescue one that was injured and couldn't be placed back in the wild or it was already someone's pet. Okay, Lori, here's another zoo tragedy. It's almost incredible. Oh, my God. This happened at the London Zoo. They've got this female tiger there named Milati or Milati. And in an effort to impregnate her, it was decided that a male tiger named Asim should be brought to that zoo from a Danish safari park. So the experts believed that he'd be a perfect mate for Melati. Well, they brought him over and they allowed them to stay nearby for about 10 days while they were getting used to each other and they appeared to be compatible. 
And what do you know, they allow them to enter the same enclosure and quickly the male tiger kills the female. Mm. And of course, as usual in these things, the staff say they are heartbroken by this turn of events, right? Last week, we reported another zoo tragedy where a young woman who had been working in a North Carolina zoo for only two weeks was killed by a lion. They're not sure how that happened, but for us, it's just another avoidable tragedy related to the zoo industry. Malati, all we can say is we are sorry. Peter, have you heard of Ridgeland Pioneer Days? No, no. This is an annual event held every year in February and has been happening for the past 35 years in the village of Ridgeland, which is in Wisconsin. And this event features, ready for this one, Mm. a live chicken toss, which involves throwing over 200 terrified chickens, one at a time, from a rooftop into a crowd of people, which are adults and children waiting below. And if you're able to catch a chicken thrown off the rooftop, you get to keep it. Oh, boy. The event is sponsored by Drunken Monkey Bar and Hotel. The event called the Free Chicken Fly is the main attraction of this day. Words like come join us for some, quote, old-fashioned fun are used in the announcements. Apparently, there's also a greased pig contest, and you can watch horses and ponies compete against each other in the log skidding contest. What the hell, Peter? Oh, my goodness. This is entertainment? That's terrible. Inflict cruelty on birds for year, fun, and entertainment. Yes. According to WorldAnimalNews.com, while animal advocates and animal law associates of Wisconsin assert that the chicken toss violates animal cruelty law, a past Dunn County District Attorney claimed the birds did not, quote, suffer unnecessary and excessive pain or suffering or unjustifiable injury or death. So let's think about this. Not unnecessary suffering. So oh, it's just lawyer. It's necessary it's suffering. Crazy. Since it's necessary to throw the chickens off from the rooftop. No unjustifiable injury or death. So therefore, if a chicken hits the ground and breaks all his legs or, or dies from the fall, that's justifiable because throwing the chickens from the rooftop is justified. Help me with this logic, Peter. It cannot be done. Okay. Anyway, contact Dunn, D-U-N-N, Dunn County officials by phone or email, like the Dunn County Sheriff, the Dunn County District Attorney, or the Dunn County District Supervisor, and politely urge them to stop this form of animal cruelty. Hmm. How do you politely tell these officials that they have their heads up, you know, where? Yeah. Do you think if someone threw one of their pet dogs off a rooftop in hopes someone will catch it, would they consider that animal cruelty? Well, it depends if it was necessary or not. That's I guess, right. Something like right. that. Right. Yeah. It's justifiable. Yeah. Okay, Peter, you're up. I hope it's a happier story here. Yes, I think it's a happier story. We are all interested in the intelligence of dogs, and there are people who are interested in ranking who's got the smartest dog. One list of the top 10 smartest dogs includes Border Collies, Poodles, German Shepherds, Golden and Labrador Retrievers, Dobermans, Shetland Sheepdogs, Papillon. Is that how you say that? Papillon? I think so. Uh, Rottweilers and Australian Cattle Dogs. Oh, where's the pit bull? Yeah, well, the smartest. it's somebody's list. <laughs> anyway, there's scientific research that also is undertaken to look at the intelligence and cognition and, you know, 
all around smarts of dogs. And there is a researcher in Arizona at the Arizona Canine Cognition Center named Daniel Horschler. And he's an anthropology doctoral student and is studying the intelligence of dogs related to the size of their brains, which is interesting. Bigger dogs happen to have larger brains and smaller dogs have smaller brains and and there is a whole field looking at the brain size compared to intelligence across species. And there's lots of people studying that, lots of controversy about that. Anyway, Horschler found that dog intelligence is not a single thing as we know. He used data from 7,000 purebred domestic dogs in 74 different breeds. And he obtained the data by asking the guardians of these dogs to perform a couple of tasks with their dogs and then submit the data. To test the short-term memory of dogs, the dog guardians hit a treat while the dog was looking under one or two plastic cups. And then the owners were instructed to wait 60, 90, 120, or 150 seconds before releasing their dog to get the treat. And the smaller dogs had more difficulty in remembering where the owners hid the treat. So that tells you that larger brain dogs have better short-term memory. Possibly. I don't know. Okay. That doesn't make sense to me. Okay, well, how about this? Then he wanted to test self-control of dogs, and they placed a treat in front of their seated dog and then forbade the dog from taking it. The owners then watched the dog, and they covered their own eyes or they turned away from the dog, and larger breed dogs waited longer overall to take the forbidden treat. What does that mean? That it shows mean they anything. have self-control, which goes along with a larger brain, possibly more neural connections or, or some other executive function of brain activity. I don't buy it. Well, he's going to take this one step further, and he is planning to test miniature poodles versus standard poodles. Okay, these dogs are allegedly identical except for their size, and so we'll see which breed of dogs has better short-term memory and self-control. Would you buy that? No, no I wouldn't. No, Every dog's skeptic. an individual. Yes, I am. Every dog's mm-hmm. an individual. Okay. So. All right. You can have small dog, no matter what breed, that's very intelligent, and a big dog, mm-hmm. no matter what breed. You don't believe in be- statistics or averages no, or none of that. No, no, I, a- I believe it if it makes sense. This doesn't make sense <laughs> Okay. To me. We just shot down this guy's whole line of research. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad you weren't on my PhD committee. <laughs> Well, Peter, I want to give a different perspective on dog intelligence. Okay. There's a neuropsychologist, Stanley Corrin, author of The Intelligence of Dogs. According to him, there are three major types of dog smarts, instinctive intelligence, adaptive intelligence, and working in obedience intelligence. So instinctive intelligence is like what a dog is bred for. For example, herding dogs were bred to herd animals, and different breeds have different types of instinctive intelligence. And he says you really can't say, okay, this breed is smarter than that breed when you're talking about this instinctive intelligence because their abilities are too different to compare. The second dimension of dog intelligence he describes is adaptive intelligence. And this includes solving new problems, what a dog can learn by himself. So within one breed, you can have varying levels of adaptive intelligence. So for example, all golden retrievers pretty much have the same instinctive intelligence, but individual golden retrievers can have different degrees of adaptive intelligence. And he says this type of smarts you are able to measure or test. And then finally, you have the working and obedience intelligence. And this is based upon what the dog can learn to do when instructed by humans. 
And he says, when most people think of dog intelligence, they often think of this sort of intelligence. Cora mentions in a Psychology Today article several years back, which made me think of one of our dogs, Cosmo, who is a pit bull mix and the smartest dog ever. Maybe a lot of people think they have the smartest dog ever. But no, but, no, no. But Cosmo is indeed smarter than your dog. Anyway, Corn says, while a smart dog will learn everything that you want it to know, it will also learn everything that it can get away with. Yeah, like uh, sneaking the cat food without being detected. Exactly. Right. So true, isn't it? Okay, there's lots more animal news. So after the break, we'll continue with stories from around the world. You're listening to Animals Today. Welcome back to Animals Today. Remember to visit us at animalstodayradio.com and please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Animals Today is a project of advancing the interests of animals and you can visit them online, aianimals.org. Okay, Lori. Peter, do you follow or have you heard of Beyonce and Jay-Z? I've heard of them. Okay, Okay, well, they are encouraging their fans to go vegan. Did you hear this? That's good. They're offering a chance for lifetime of free tickets to any of their shows if you go vegan. The green print website where people can enter into the sweepstake offers ways people can learn how to transition into being vegan, like meatless Mondays and eating two plant-based meals a day or eating plant-based at work. So that's nice. Vogue writes, quote, Beyonce and Jay-Z are known to be vegan curious. So I guess they're not quite there themselves yet. However, referring to this new challenge, they said they will be ditching meat. It's interesting, and I might have missed it, but Jay-Z or Beyonce never mentioned or talked about the animal cruelty aspect of eating meat, the production of meat. They do mention the health benefits of adopting a vegan diet and, of course, the positive environmental impact, but not animal cruelty. Anyway, it's a creative way to get people to think about their diets. And um, I guess for starters, you have to like Beyonce and Jay-Z enough to want to go to their shows, let alone a lifetime of free shows. Okay, I I guess this appeals to somebody, not so much to me, but whatever, you know. Okay, and now on a different note, I have to credit a a blogger, Mateja Lane. She published in Wide Open Pets a story about the Ace Collection, which is a bed company. They are selling huge human sleeping beds, including a giant mattress that measures 12 feet across. So it's like 12 by six and a half originally designed so family members can all sort of hang out together in bed. Well, Matea, she says, "Uh uh-uh, this is better for someone who's got a lot of pets. And I have to agree with her. I think if I had the right room, wouldn't you like a 12-foot bed for all of it? I know. I love it. Oh, I want one. Yeah. Well, you don't have to get a full 12 feet. There are slightly smaller versions, but still, the Ace Collection is going full bore on the mega-sized Bed. No, I like the 12-foot one. Okay. I want a 12-foot three-tiered bed. Three-tiered bed. Cats could be on the top. Mm-hmm. Hedgehogs on the second. <laughs> <laughs> the dogs and I are on the bottom, and you can find space somewhere else. I'm used to that. Listen to this, Peter. Very apropos to this discussion, a recent study titled An Examination of Adult Women's Sleep Quality and Sleep Routine in Relation to Pet Ownership 
and bed sharing, recently published in the journal Anthrozoas, shows that sleeping with your dog might contribute to a better quality of sleep. So they looked at 962 American women to see how having a companion animal impacted their sleep. 55% of the women in the study let at least one of their dogs sleep in their bed. 31% of the women shared their bed with a cat. 57% of all women surveyed shared their bed with another human. The study found that dogs were the least disruptive of the three bed partners. The study says, Compared with human bed partners, dogs who slept in their owner's bed were perceived to disturb sleep less and were associated with stronger feelings of comfort and security. Now, cats and humans were found to be equally bothersome in bed. So, Peter, that's why we need a three-tiered bed. Oh, perfectly logical. Yeah. <laughs> okay, switching topics and speaking of dogs, specifically military dogs, the United States Postal Service is honoring military dogs with a 2019 stamp collection. USPS announced in a statement that one of their 2019 Forever Stamp collections will honor the, quote, nation's brave and loyal military working dogs. According to the Postal Service, the stamps will portray a dog sitting on top of a white star with either a red or blue background to represent the American flag and patriotism. According to CNN, there's an estimated 2,300 military working dogs serving on U.S. bases worldwide. And as you know, military dogs have served in the U.S. military since World War I. I'm not sure you know this, Peter, but U.S. war dogs have their own memorial in Holmdale, New Jersey. Oh. And according to CNN, while the memorial was originally built to remember those dogs that served in Vietnam, it honors all dogs that have served in the military. Nice. We did a story about military dogs a long time ago yeah. related to an exhibition at the World War II Museum in right. New Orleans. That was a good one. Yeah, it sure was. Lori, here's a bit of whaling news. The Norwegians, they continue to kill minke whales. It's very strange because the market for the whale meat is declining and consuming whale meat is understood to be bad for your health. Nevertheless, Norway's Minister of Fisheries said, I want to make sure that whaling remains alive. Whale meat tastes good and it is good for your health. In 2014, Norway killed 736 minke whales, 660 in 2015, 590 in 2016, and 432 in 2017. So sad. And they yes, it is tragic. And they put out a quota above which they do not go. This year's quota is going to be 1,278 minke whales. It's really horrible how these whales are killed. They get harpoon. The harpoon is supposed to explode in their head and cause them to die right away. Often that does not happen and the suffering is just prolonged and tragic. The industry is trying to prop up the attractiveness of whale meat as a consumer product. Whale meat is reappearing as whale meat burgers and on skewers and uh, it's being accompanied by exotic condiments and in trendy restaurants. And it's offered to tourists as a special thing you can do while you're in Norway. Nonetheless, most of the whale meat is just excess and distributed to the poor, or believe it or not, it's used to feed minks and foxes on fur farms. Is that the sickest thing you can imagine? Animal cruelty for the purpose to support more animal cruelty. Yes, you bet. And of course, there's no longer any reason to kill any whales. 
Paul Watson from Sea Shepherd Conservation Society. He says we should be looking to protect whales in the ocean everywhere. There's no real reason we have to kill them. But until that time, you can avoid tourism in Norway. And if you happen to go there, don't buy or eat any of the whale products. Really amazing how this can still be going on. Okay, and finally, from Italy, an online petition started an organization called Friend of the Sea has led major global food delivery company Just Eat to take shark fin soup off its menu in Italy. So shark finning, for those who don't know, is the barbaric act of catching the shark, cutting their fins off, throwing the poor shark back in the water, usually still alive and bleeding and without his fin, So they're now unable to swim, so they sink to the bottom of the ocean and die of suffocation or are eaten by other predators. Shark finning is banned in EU countries, the U.S., and several other nations, and their indiscriminate slaughter is leading some shark species to extinction. So sad what we do to these guys, just so people can eat shark fin soup. And by the way, people will pay anywhere from $100 up to $2,000 for a bowl of shark fin soup. Friend of the Sea founder and director Paolo Bray said, this is a major achievement for Friend of the Sea. Hopefully this will impact the shark fins market and trade as it will greatly reduce global online shark fin soup sales. Okay, well, it's somewhat positive. Yeah, I know. Okay, good for them. It's about time. Okay, don't go away. More with the show right after this break. to Animals Today. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. I want to remind you to visit us at animalstodayradio.com. Like us on Facebook and go to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Each week we bring you the latest animal news from around the globe. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at aianimals.org. And if you like what you hear, consider donating to our cause of promoting compassion and respect for all animals. That website, again, is aianimals.org. Welcome back. The world's largest trophy hunting convention just concluded. This is the annual Safari Club International Convention. It's held in Reno, Nevada. And undercover video and photos obtained by Humane Society of the United States and Humane Society International have been released. To tell us about what was observed, I am pleased to welcome back to the show Iris Ho, she is Senior Wildlife Specialist for Humane Society International. Welcome, Iris. Yeah, thank you, Peter, and I'm glad to be back um, to talk to you guys about uh, wildlife issues. Um, as you noted, um, the Safari Club International uh, just concluded its convention in Reno, um, and this is a group, Safari Club International, or you know, known as SCI by its abbreviation, is an industry group uh, representing the interests of trophy hunters, uh, trophy hunting um, outfitters, and also other individuals um, and businesses uh, who profit from killing iconic, uh, rare, or imperiled uh, wildlife. So it's really, you know, it's really a trade association. It's, you know, it's like tobacco association representing um, tobacco firms. And this is an industry group that is the ringleader uh, for trophy hunters. 
Um, and it's a very powerful group. It has tremendous lobbying power, and it uses its lobbying uh, prowess to weaken. Not only they they promote trophy hunting of iconic animals, but they also use their lobbying power to weaken uh, international um, and national measures, including here in the U.S., uh, to weaken laws like Endangered Species Act. So individuals were sent to obtain video and images uh, undercover. And why was this convention this year a target? What's uh, going on that motivated that? So humane, the Humane Society of the United States um, and Humane Society International, uh, we sent our uh, undercover investigations uh, to the SCI convention, uh, which took place from January 9th. Uh, to the 12th. And we went in there, and actually, you know, prior to the convention, every single year during SCI conventions, they have auctions auctions for trophy hunting um, activities. You know, this includes trophy hunting of polar bears, mm. uh, trophy hunt of uh, lions, leopards, uh, what have you, or African um, elephants. Um, they also, the auction items also include uh, wildlife products. Um, it could be, you know, an elephant, um, a product made of elephant a specimen. So we have been analyzing the, these auction items. And in addition to the auction items, there are a variety of wildlife products offered for sale during the convention. And we now in Nevada since 2018, um, Nevada has an anti-wildlife trafficking law, uh, which is a law that um, HSUS and also HSI and local advocates uh, worked on for the last few years uh, to achieve this accomplishment to protect threatened species. And so under this Nevada law, it is illegal to sell uh, products um, and parts uh, from a number a number of species, including uh, African elephants, um, hippos, uh, walrus, and narwhal, and other animals. And we found that the Safari Club International, their own auctions as well as their vendors at the convention, they have been they have been peddling these illegal wildlife products, completely ignoring Nevada's conservation law, um, and, and that's why we wanted to expose the hypocrisy um, of their conservation claim. And the video that was released—it's only three and a half minutes or so. It's really uh, sh- shocking how. Mm-hmm. How in the open the vendors are saying, oh, yes, this is elephant. Oh, yes, that is a rhino skull that we've made this table from. It's quite uh, a shocking, uh, truthfully. Yeah, uh, yes, right. The, yes, the hippo skull um, hippo table. Skull. And, yeah. And, and yeah, and, and you know, if you, the reader, uh, the listeners have a chance to watch our footage um, or read our report. And even for us um, animal um, veterans, uh, the most shocking was uh, paintings. I don't know if you saw that paintings that used an elephant ear mm. as the canvas. I mean, we many of us here in the organization we thought we had seen it, you know, seen it all. But that was, you know, that was really a new one. I mean, we just cannot imagine someone who wants to display. that grotesque item in their home, you know, paintings using an entire elephant ear as the canvas. You know, again, this is Safari Club International Convention uh, promoting trophy hunting and the trade of endangered species. So we were shocked, but we were not entirely surprised. Um, And Peter, if I might add uh, another aspect of our investigation, 
was to look into uh, it's called canned lion hunts. So these are hunting opportunities for uh, can uh, a captive bred lions and then shooting them in fenced disclosure uh, from where they cannot escape. It's, it's, it's unethical and it has, you know, captive breeding of lions for hunting has zero conservation value. This is um, agreed upon not only by animal uh, and conservation uh, organizations, but also by lion scientists. And that's why Safari Club International actually has a policy banning um, the advertisement and offer for sale of these captive lion hunts. But again, we found out that when financial profit is involved, uh, Safari Club International and their vendors throw these hunting uh, ethics out of the window. Uh, we found uh, close to a dozen uh, uh, lion, uh, trophy hunting operators offering for sale these captive lion hunts, uh, which Safari Club International itself said it's, it opposes to. Now, you presented your information to the authorities. Uh, what are they doing with it? Uh, so we um, have sent um, it, uh, our represented our uh, findings to uh, the Nevada Department of, uh, of Wildlife, and uh, the, part, the department um, has informed us that they have opened um, an investigation, and we will continue to communicate uh, with the department um, and also offer um, any assistance if need be, uh, since we have documents documented um, the evidence of these uh, illegal activities. I read the Associated Press was denied uh, press privileges for this convention. Is that true? Um, yep, that is true. Um, the Associate Press uh, reporter um, who reports on environmental issues uh, was denied access uh, to attend the convention. And, you know, if they, Safari Club International um, has nothing to hide, then they should, you know, have an open door uh, to everyone who is interested um, in their convention. Um, but again, you know, this is an organization um, that has long been an, an arrogant defender of the cruelty of trophy hunting. So to be honest, I was not surprised uh, to see that they thought by limiting access to the convention, they could operate under the radar, and they were proven wrong. With the evidence uh, we have, um, we we are focusing um, our um, claims on the state of Nevada's their law, um, whether these items violate um, federal law. Um, that would concern the interstate uh, uh, sale, sale, commercial trade um, of, across the states. Uh, and so that would involve a, a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, um, whether they would like to look into um, these activities. Our investigations uh, were focused focus specifically on the Nevada law, which is, you know, the, the transactions or uh, that was happening within Nevada. Um, and so that was the main focus of, of our investigation. Um, and, you know, whether their act activity violates federal law, um, we would have to consult uh, with a federal authority on that. Has Safari Club International made any claims uh, against the Humane Society or HSI about gaining access under uh, false pretenses? Um, yes. Well, we have read from the press 
um, that um, they have um, accused us of uh, an authorized uh, entry. But again, you know, we did pay um, for the fees uh, to enter the convention. Um, and all our activities, uh, including our undercover activities, are, are in compliance uh, within the Nevada's law. We've been speaking with Iris Ho, Senior Wildlife Specialist for Humane Society International. Iris, great work. Where can listeners find out more information and see some of this stuff? Thank you, Peter, uh, for, for asking that. Um, for any listeners um, interested in our investigation, please visit uh, www.humansociety.org uh, or www.hsi.org. Iris Ho, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Peter. Always a pleasure to be on your show. More with Animals Today after this break. Like most people, you have lots of plans. A financial plan, an exercise plan, a career plan. You also need a plan for the care of your pets when you no longer can provide it. Every day, animals are sent to shelters, terrified and confused because their owners have become incapacitated or died. Unfortunately, many of them get euthanized. Some people don't give the future a thought. Others assume family members will care for their pets. A better way is to name caregivers and provide detailed instructions about your pet's feeding, social, play, and health care needs. But even designated caregivers can't guarantee your pet will join a stable and loving home. Good intentions sometimes take a backseat to life's realities, like a new spouse who doesn't like animals, a sudden desire to travel the world, or the adoptive caregiver's own illness. A legally enforceable pet trust offers the only assurance that your assets will be used as you wish to provide for the comfort and care of your cherished animal companions. Almost every state recognizes pet trusts. Find out how to create one today and take steps to make sure your pet doesn't risk becoming yet another sad shelter statistic. Plan for your pet's lifelong well-being. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. are experiencing a brutally cold winter and if you look after any outdoor cats or community cats maybe you've wondered if there's anything more you can do to help them get through these cold snaps with some good information on this i am pleased to welcome molly armas staff attorney with alley cat allies hello molly hi there thank you so much for having me Oh, we're so excited to uh, talk about this because it has been such a tough winter. Alley Cat Allies has a new release just providing some basic ideas of what you can do if you wanted to help the cats around your neighborhood get through this winter. Uh, it starts with the just simple notion of providing better shelter or shelter to protect them from the cold. Tell us about what you can do. Absolutely. You know, cats are super resilient. They live and thrive outdoors in all kinds of climates. But, you know, when it's this cold, a little extra help can really go a long way. And so, as you mentioned, providing shelters is a wonderful way to do that. You can purchase pre-made ones online or 
at our website, alleycat.org, we have really helpful step-by-step instructional videos on how to build some yourself with very inexpensive common materials. One of the things we recommend is using straw, again, because it's inexpensive and it repels moisture. And if you do have shelters already or if you're planning on building them, something we think is super important, especially when it snows, is to make sure that all entrances and exits are clear so cats don't get trapped inside and they can freely move in and out. Some of them online are very simple. Even I could do it, but some of them are nice. If you're handy or you're a woodworker, you can do something really cool. Yep. And, mm-hmm. and straw, uh, not hay. Hay will get wet. Exactly. You want straw because it repels moisture. Okay. So now in terms of food and water, it was interesting for me to learn that there's increased need for food in the cold. Tell us about how to help the cats uh, eat and drink. Absolutely. So If you're currently providing food and water or you see a community cat and you're interested in providing food and water, we definitely recommend increasing those portions because, you know, when they are trying to stay warm, they're using more energy. So giving them more food allows them to conserve energy and stay warm. You know, we recommend um, if you feed canned or wet food to put it in an insulated container or you can use dry food, which will not freeze. And then when it comes to water, you want to make sure check to check it regularly. And if you can, put it someplace that the sun hits so it doesn't freeze. Now, there are devices to help keep the water from freezing. Absolutely. Um, you can do, what are they called? Oh, heated electric bowls can help that. Or using kind of deep bowls rather than wide bowls um, can help prevent freezing as well. Mm. And wet or dry food, does it matter? It doesn't really matter. It's just if you are going to use the canned or wet food, as I said, um, putting it in insulated containers will help prevent it from freezing. Dry food will not freeze. But again, just checking it regularly to make sure everything's okay is very important. Yeah. Now, every winter we are reminded of the special precautions to take when cats are around uh, when it's cold. Uh, such as precautions related to antifreeze or making sure a cat isn't hiding in your wheel well. What are some of those things? You mentioned making sure cats are not hiding in well wheels. You know, I think it starts in probably starting in the fall. We recommend that people, you know, tap the hood of their car because cats might be keeping warm near the engine or under the car. So just checking around, making sure there's no one there. And then, you know, talking about ways to de-ice. So using salt and chemicals to melt snow can be lethal for both dogs and cats if, if it's licked off paws and ingested. So we recommend, you know, sand or um, other pet-friendly de-icers available at most pet stores. Um, And then, as you mentioned, antifreeze, which, again, is very lethal. We do not recommend using that, or if you do use it and you spill it to quickly clean it up, you know, you can switch to a non-lethal version, which is made with propylene glycol. Um, It's less toxic. Yeah. Okay, and so finally, in terms of those who are interested in spaying and neutering community cats or doing TNR. What special concerns are there in winter when it's cold? Sure. So doing trap neuter return, the only humane and effective approach to stabilizing community cat populations, you can continue to do that in the winter. Um, Definitely continue spaying and neutering, but we recommend that you you check your traps frequently and that you have a warm place for pre and post-surgery for the cats. And then, you know, when you do bring your cats to the vet to be spayed or neutered, just talk to the vet and ask if they could possibly shave a little less hair off. Um, That way the cats stay warmer. (laughs) Oh, that's a great tip. I like that. 
we go into a lot more detail on our website at alleycat.org slash winter weather. You know, if there's anything else you want to follow up on or, you know, I mentioned videos to build shelters and feeding stations, you can check them out there. Molly Armas with Alley Cat Allies. Thank you very much. Great tips. Thank you. Well, hey, Lori. Peter, what do you got there? Well, it is raining so hard this morning in Southern California and right around here. You might say it's raining cats and dogs. Yes, you might say that. And everyone knows that means it's raining very hard. My mom used to use this phrase all the time. You know, there are two origin stories about this phrase. One is that the dog who was the attendant to the Storm King Odin was a symbol of the wind and cats came to symbolize pouring rain. And so dogs were strong gusts of wind and cats were pouring rain. And in a very heavy storm, you had both cats and dogs involved. Hmm. There's another explanation that comes from 17th century London. It's sort of sad. Uh, after heavy downpours, many of the stray and feral cats and the dogs that roam the streets drowned and their bodies can be floating in the torrents. Yeah, I've heard of that one. Yeah. And of course, there are many interesting idioms and phrases related to cats in our language. Do you know the one sitting in the catbird seat? I like that one. Sure. Prime position. Yes. Or having control. You are in control of the situation. Uh, that was coined by the sports announcer named Red Barber, and it was brought to attention in Thurber's novel, The Catbird Seat. He defined that as sitting pretty, like a batter with three balls and no strikes on him. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Cat got your tongue, Lori? No, never. That's not nice. <laughs> a bag of cats can mean it like a person with a bad temperament. Do you know the one as nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs? I heard that one before, yes. Yeah. So, uh, cats don't want their tails to be rocked on? You bet. So that's somebody who has like a nervous or frayed nerves. Right. Okay. Uh, the cat's meow. Oh, yeah. Austin Powers used that. Yeah. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Something uh, that's outstanding or, or excellent. Also, that was coined by American cartoonist Thomas Dorgan, who also had the phrase cat's pajamas. Do you know that one? Cat's pajamas? Something that's outstanding. Cool. Yeah. Cool thing. Be all and the end all. That's the cat's pajamas. Yeah. Okay. Just a couple more. Like hurting cats. That's one that I like. Like trying to get control of a situation that's futile. Right. Like hurting cats. Like a cat on a hot tin roof. Uh, That came from Tennessee Williams' play, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. That's almost self-explanatory. Right. And our last one for today, enough to make a cat laugh. That's when someone says something so outlandish and ridiculous, it would just make a cat laugh, and cats don't laugh. Okay, Lori, and actually for the real last one is the phrase, to rub someone's fur the wrong way. You know, Like that to one. ruffle your feathers? To irritate someone or to upset somebody. You know, cats don't really like their fur rubbed the wrong way. It annoys them. So I think we're done here, Lori. Lori, does a cat have your tongue? <laughs> Say it. Cat's got my tongue. Okay. Okay, thanks for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner and Dr. Peter Spiegel, encouraging to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals.